Hello, everybody, and welcome back to High School Not So Much a Musical. In part two of our conversation with Mr. Carlson, we'll talk about his first-person account of when President Bush was told that the Twin Towers were hit and the events that occurred after. We'll get to that right after this. This is High School Not So Much a Musical, a podcast that takes you on a ride through the peaks and valleys of a high school journey. Here are your presenters, Nitin Jaladanki and Ayush Agarwal. Uh, uh, I feel like I don't want to spoil anything that's like written in your book. Oh, okay. So I'm, unless unless you're fine with sharing, like sharing a little bit, like that'd be fine. But if you're well, not, I mean, I can tell you, you know, the president was doing a reading exercise in a classroom in Sarasota, Florida, and he. Um, uh, there was a teacher and she had a class and they were re- literally reading out loud and reciting um, sentences as they were reading. And um, it was a pretty impressive uh, exercise for a classroom to put on for a president. He was patiently uh, observing this. And um, in the middle of it, um, his chief of staff walked over to him and whispered in his ear that uh the country was under attack that a plane had hit the world trade center which i think they had known at that point already but they thought it was a small aircraft like a cessna or something he told him that you know it was apparently a large commercial aircraft and then uh, he told him uh, that uh, a second plane had hit as well so bush was he was as shell-shocked as everybody else now we had all seen it on a TV monitor as if, if there was a feed coming in from New York on this. And um, so I think the people who were actually actually tuned into new, live news coverage from New York were actually ahead of the people in the government at that time as to really knowing the depth of what was going on, that it was that it was really serious. So um, he it took him about five or six minutes to wrap up in the in the classroom in a respectful way. And after that, he delivered a statement uh, at another venue in the school about what had happened and how they were trying to uh, rally together uh, different uh, parts of the government to figure out what what exactly was going on and who was behind it. Uh, He then left Sarasota and flew to uh, two different Air Force bases. It was sort of a uh, looking for a safe place to be. I don't know that there was any playbook for what a president should do if they're on the road and all of a sudden the country's attacked like that. But in, at any rate, they went to a couple of Air Force bases um, as they were sorting things out and they sort of had a safe refuge there. And he was able to attend a, a secure teleconference briefing uh, at one of these Air Force bases. Um, then uh, he apparently decided that uh, he really needed to get back to Washington and address the nation uh, because it was important to show that the government was still uh, in control and, uh, you know, we had a res- responsive government that we, we hadn't been taken to our knees. So he, he got back to Washington by the dinner hour and um, then that evening he did an address to the nation. Um, in the meantime... <laughs> The traveling press, by the way, the travel pool, which is about 13 or 14 people, were on Air Force One with him, and they returned to D.C. There, there were about 60 other press members at that time who were on a chartered aircraft 
who could not get back because the skies were completely closed um, and it was impossible to get a plane up. They tried, they, the White House tried to get a, our, our aircraft cleared to fly, but um, they were almost there with it. And then the, uh, at the time it was a Northwest Airlines uh, charter Northwest doesn't exist anymore. They got bought up by another company somewhere along the line. But uh, the, the CEO of Northwest said, no, we're not. I'm not putting my plane up in the air. Uh, and I'm, not, I'm not putting my crew up in the air because it, let's face it, it was scary. I mean, you <laughs> could have been shot down by some well-intended uh, Air Force person, I, I presume. So anyhow, <clears throat> the other press people ended up riding a bus back, a 20-hour bus ride to D.C., which they were very unhappy about because... Um, all of the reporters then on a 20 hour bus ride were going to be out of pocket completely. Um, whereas if they had like a three hour plane ride, they'd only be like three hours, they'd sort of be off the grid. Um, but just to go back in history a little bit, this was a different time, guys. Um, uh, we didn't have smartphones at, at the time. The, 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 the great cell phone to have was the Motorola flip phone. And it was, um, it was actually expensive, you know, to get a, a month, a monthly account for one of those things. I think it was like 80 bucks or something. So only a few people had them, uh, even in the press corps, only a few people had them. Uh, most people, the internet to them back then, they were uh, sharing MP3 music files. I mean, the iPod was just coming out that year in 2001. Um, people, uh, more people had like AOL email addresses probably than Gmail addresses back then. And, uh, so it was really a different era than today. The connectivity we have today did not exist. So um, that's why folks were very unhappy about being out of pocket for a 20 hour bus ride back to DC. But having said that, once they got back, there was still, uh, they had seven more years of uh, war making to, uh, to cover. So nobody really missed out on anything. Um, that's pretty much the story there. I mean, anyone who's really interested, go find the book on Amazon or Apple Books, um, and you'll get the real uh, up-close version of it. Yeah, that sounds really interesting because I was really into airplanes in, like, middle school, so, like, from 2016 to 2018. And then during that, I remember watching, like, a ton of documentaries about 9-11 and just how everything unfolded, all the different types of airplanes and stuff like that. I remember seeing, like, this picture of Bush sitting um, in a chair with his legs crossed and his like arms in his lap and then his uh, a chief of staff like is just leaned over into his ear and you can like see all the little kids in front of him who are so I think there's just like a really like scary photo and it's almost like the country was falling apart while he was just sitting there with all these happy little children so it was like a really like surreal kind of photo to kind of see but this kind of leads into my next question which is every news reporter or everybody who works in the news business has their own little niche like the topic that they just love engaging in debates about and writing about so could you talk a little bit about what you liked covering the most and it doesn't have to be a specific event but what was your favorite genre to cover and this is more of like not your favorite moment or event but what was your favorite topic to cover was it a was it the presidential campaigns terrorist attacks or just general news reporting like the small things that happen every day well i mean that's that's a totally legit question but i will tell you that over the 
40 plus years I spent in the business, my uh, niche or whatever you want to call it, the things I found most interesting slowly changed. I mean, when I first got into the business, I was really interested in filming things that had a lot of kinetic activity where you were sort of showing people things they just simply hadn't seen. Um, and so I really enjoyed picture stories and that, that was really my emphasis. And I think anybody who's, you know, chooses to uh, make a profession out of using a camera is going to feel that way, especially, you know, somebody shooting video or film as opposed to somebody shooting stills necessarily. Um, so I was very interested in that for, you know, my first, uh, say, 10 or 15 years. But I will say that once I got introduced to the whole uh, political side of things in, in the White House, which availed opportunities that you just simply would not have um, doing the rest of the news gamut in this country. Um, it was just simply a unique thing. And it was more on the camera side. It was, you know, it did become very interesting uh, just to follow this sort of political drama. And like I referred to early, you know, all these presidents are operating in crisis mode, probably easily a third of the time. So you get to see these people and it's just interesting because, you know, here I have a camera, it's a 20 to one zoom lens on it. And basically I'm putting the training, the thing on these people's faces every day and seeing uh, what they look like. And, you know, sometimes if, if you're around somebody long enough, I don't know them. Okay. I don't know these people. I've talked to them a few times. I'm at maybe 12 feet away, a lot of times taking a picture, but I can sometimes tell when somebody looks like they're having a good day or they're having a bad day. I could tell when somebody nicked themselves with a razor that morning, or they had a little uh, skin frozen off their cheek because the, the dermatologist took something off. So, I mean, this is bizarre, but you get to know people in, a, in ways that you never would have thought. And just, um, it becomes a study of, uh, of, of these different um, human beings who are, and by the way, I just call them human beings. They're all, you know, celebrities, but you know, when you're around them every day, you just realize they're just, it, it's just another human like you. I mean, they can, they could screw it up. They could get uh, angry at something. They can laugh at something. Um, you know, it's, it's, and frankly, none of them are prepared for the job. And now I, and I can't, I'm not saying that because I, because I think I know something about the job, but I did watch six different ones of them and see you know, when each one runs into more challenging times. And I just don't think uh, anyone in political life knows what the next challenge is coming around the bend. They just don't know a lot of the time. Uh, some of them really are, are true surprises. So I think, you know, sort of following the surprise factor became uh, more of a, uh, a focal point. Uh, say, certainly during the Clinton years, um, uh, because it was interesting because, you know, Bill Clinton was really um, sort of adored at the time. I mean, he was, um, uh, he, he played the saxophone. He, he, he went on TV on one of the, the evening, the nighttime uh, uh, 
talk shows and played the saxophone once when he was running for president. And everybody thought that was was great. So he sort of he was sort of this kid like guy who became president. And uh, he just had a way of articulating things. He, he was sort of a uh, darling uh, uh, president for a while, at least. And then then he got uh, uh, got in trouble when he started getting into some of his scandals. But um, that was sort of a point where I realized I was finding the human study to be more interesting than worrying about gee when was the last time i shot a picture story with something that was really cool to look at or, or fun to watch you know so um and i have to say that um the internet uh changed the type of content that the commercial television networks were considering news uh, and i can I, I can explain that to you if if you'd like to hear something some more about that yeah, definitely. That would be great. Well, I want to say that, you know, around uh, 1999, I think the first uh, digital video camera came out, you know, a first like DV camera where people could buy it for, you know, like $800 or something. And shortly thereafter, in the early 2000s, like maybe 2003 or somewhere around then, YouTube came around. And I mean, it was a phenomenon. And basically, I think that the... Uh, as people filled YouTube with uh, video and, uh, you know, people then had uh, Final Cut Pro and uh, iMovie and, you know, the, they had editing programs at their disposal. They were very expensive, but people did have them. And people were filling YouTube with some pretty interesting content. And a lot of it was just sort of show and tell things, interesting things you would never see otherwise. A lot of it was stuff that you know, we used to love to film and do stories about. And I, I think that um, the network news operations looked at YouTube and s decided, well, you know, if John Q. Public can go show you all the interesting and odd things that you never would see, then we shouldn't waste our time doing that. Maybe we should just concentrate on what we have an advantage over, which is we can do things live. We have um, a lot of, you know, boots on the ground, you know, reporters, and uh, we can give you news happening from places that John Q. Public really can't. So let's concentrate on that. So I think that drove their, um, the types of stories they did more into the political, um, the, uh, the breaking news uh, types of things. Of course, they everything's breaking news apparently now but um that's where they really started going down that road let's do what we can do that the other guys can't do so they i don't think they wanted to fight the public or compete with them they wanted to do what the public couldn't do does that make sense yeah um yeah that, that was really great and like now i sort of want to transition to like what like the behind the scenes look like for news, like, or like just news in general. And like, you know, every day or whenever you turn on the news, you see uh, these people, these um, these commentators sitting at their desk talking about an event just, just happened. And then they'll transition or they'll ask a question to a reporter who's at the actual event, right? You know, they're holding their mic and everything. They have their camera crew and everything. But um, would they know like what, they, what they're going to say or were they like two minutes before, would they be like reading off of a script, like memorizing so then they can go and report it to everyone watching? 
Um, well, I can tell you there were certainly numerous occasions where um, before the reporter would be on the air, they would be talking to, to a producer who was in their ear in their little earpiece and saying, hey, well, if, if so-and-so wants to ask me a question, I could talk about this, this, or this. So it's almost like <laughs> you guys telling me, hey, we want to talk to you about these four or five things in, in this little interview. So uh, the people in the news shows want to at least have a little heads up of what direction it's headed in. Um, so I think that um, you're seeing that, and I think it, it's not that difficult to figure out that that the reporter understands the question that's going to come at them. Um, so there's no big surprises. Now, I can tell you that once in a while there was a big surprise. And I did see, uh, you know, uh, reporters upset, like I wasn't expecting that one type of thing, you know. So um, I think generally they try to keep it to a couple of, say, uh, agreed upon topics agreed upon questions, basically. Um, that's, you know, that's pretty much how the business runs, I would say. So like, if there's like these couple of agreed upon questions, would these reporters know their answers like word by word? Or would they, or is it this sort of thing where like, oh, they've been, you know, researching about it for like the last couple of days, so they just know what to say. Like they can fill in those words if they know the general idea. Well, I would tell you the reporters that, uh, I worked with her were just absolutely top-notch the people at the network level are they are really um highly skilled at committing to memory uh sort of phrases and talking points and sort of bulleted points that they have uh really gone through in their stories so um you know look you have a reporter who's say spent their entire entire half a day or an entire day writing a certain story and quite often these stories are only about a minute 15 long so they're very very rehearsed on their script um they're very good at committing things to memory um it's it's very rare that that one of them sort of has a uh, you know draws a blank um some of them will have uh you know, a few pieces of paper in front of them, like maybe on an easel that has like some of their major sort of talking points, maybe up in like, you know, uh, 20 point fonts so they can just glance at it and boom, they just see a little, a little uh, bulleted thing. And then they know, you know, I mean, three words or whatever that tips them off to their next thought so they can sort of pull these things out of thin air. Um, I'll tell you, if you sat there writing a script all day about a certain topic, you'd be pretty familiar with it by the time you got to going on the air live. So um, they're very skilled at that. Yeah, so thank you so much for that insight into the news reporters and how they exactly like portray their news. So one thing that we always ask every person that we have a conversation with is to give some tips to the audience. Now, it can be any sort of uh, advice that you have for the audience, anything that you want to tell to the audience. So it's just kind of like an open area for you to give some tip to your, tips to our audience. Any tips to the audience? Well, I would say, you know, given that I was a part of what, you know, you could call legacy news media as opposed to new media 
um, people need to be cognizant of, of one really important thing when they're consuming news. And um, that is, if, if it's an organization that has, you know, a lot of boots on the ground reporters, I mean, a lot of people with, you know, pen and pad in hand and literally going out to uh, the source that they're reporting on. They're physically there. That's what you want. You want people who are actually there. Now, I realize we can all sit at a desk and on a screen and cut and paste and that sort of thing, but it's, it's harder and harder to get people on the telephone or on email. And like real reporting is, is pretty much done in person. So um, I think people need to understand that uh, the legacy outfits are still doing real reporting um, as opposed to a lot of the internet out, outlets or new media where it may just be people sitting at a desk that are reading the legacy news uh, accounts and then just sort of uh, cutting and pasting things together. So there's a big difference, you know, being there is everything. So, um, and that sort of makes the difference between news and editorial because a lot of uh, content on the internet is basically editorial. Um, the people weren't there, they're just sort of commenting on things they've already read about and sort of adding opinion. They're not actually adding fact to it. So my advice to the public is learn how to differentiate between something that's actually news and something that's editorial. Um, you know, that's, that's my biggest piece of advice because it's very confusing. Um, also, if you read something on the internet, before you start reading the article, look for the date it was published because I can't believe how many articles you start reading. And it's like, that's from four months ago. Uh, you know, some of them don't even print dates because I think they want you to look at it anyhow, because if, if it's not current, you might just, you know, skip the page and you won't see the ads. So um, just be cognizant of the date of an article on the internet and look at who wrote it. That's all. I mean, who do they work for? So that's, that's my biggest piece of advice, you know, as far as, you know, your news goes. Okay. Yeah. Thank you so much for that, Mr. Carlson. And this marks the end of today's podcast. Um, it was really great. We got to look in. We got to get. We got. We got to look into um, how news reporting works. We got to learn a little bit more about 9/11 with Mr. Carlson, who was there with the president during that time. And just as a reminder, you can check out his book 9/11 with the POTUS. Um, it'll be linked in the description. But yeah, thank you so much, Mr. Carlson, for taking your time to come on. Um, yeah, and that's our show for today. Thanks very much for having me. It was a pleasure, and uh, good luck with with your show. I I, uh, I think uh, you guys deserve a lot of credit for doing this. I remember when I was in high school, I didn't do things like this. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much. Take care. Bye-bye. High School Not So Much a Musical is hosted by Ayush Agarwal and Nitin Dolanki. Narration by Samhit Padala. Music from Louis Luang Relaxation Cafe, Tune Pocket, and Infraction. If you like the show, please recommend it to your friends and family. Thank you for listening and see you next time.